Thank you for bringing us through this year. And as we move into the next year, Lord, pray that our hearts will be stirred and we'll take steps of obedience toward you. That you'll just fill us with more satisfaction because we are pleasing your heart and living out your created intention for our lives. So today, open our hearts as your word is open. May we just lean in and just be hungry um, to learn more. Um, we're just so grateful to gather together and we're grateful to have your presence in this place with us today. Stir up our affectionate spirit for you. And we pray this in your son's name. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. You can have a seat. Kind of rainy out there today. Did anybody get an umbrella put over them by someone from Frontline? Can we just give it up for the people out there that they love when it rains because it actually gives them something to do rather than creep people out. Um, it's just like, hey, how you doing? Why are you next to me? What do you want to do? Just wanted to say hi out here in the parking lot. And they actually fulfill a purpose. So that's really awesome. Um, it's a new year. Um, and I don't know about you, but I just love when I can start thinking in the next couple days about what I want to be this next year. I always want to be growing. And yet there's a part of me that um, I get into stability and security and I don't want to change at all. And uh, I was with my son earlier this week and I think it was Monday night and we were um, at bedtime and we were talking and out of nowhere, Caleb, he's seven years old, um, he said, Dad, what do you, what do you want to do um, when you get old? And at first I was just flattered he didn't think I was old. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, buddy, I'm, I'm actually already kind of old. And uh, he said this back to me. He said, yeah, but not old enough to st stop wanting to be something. And I just, I, I was like, you know, that, that's true. Like I have more life ahead of me and, and I do want to keep being something uh, this next year. And we talked about that a little bit. I said, what about you, buddy? What do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be either a football player or a pastor. And I said, really? What, why did you pick either one of those? And he said, because I, I really want to tackle people or preach. <laughs> and I'm like, you can do both. I tackle people a lot. Um, if you want to be that kind of pastor, um, it's called hugging aggressively. And, um, but I was just thinking of my boy and, and uh, thinking about just what I want to be. There's so much more to be and become for all of us here today. And thinking about the future in particular, um, I remember hearing um, something from Abraham Lincoln the best way to predict the future is to create it. And that's what I wanna talk about a little bit today, but I'm not gonna be doing the one talk and I'm gonna kinda of come up after. I have a pastor that I listen to every week, Erwin McManus, and he um, is who I uh, hear the word from and just kinda of seek to emulate in a lot of ways. Just he's ahead of me, he's older than me, and someone I've followed since uh, the late 90s. And uh, he had a message about, I think six months ago, called Creating the Future that really stirred me. And I thought, going into the new year, I want you to hear from my pastor, 
um, a message that really challenged me um, and we're gonna listen to this and then I just wanna kinda share some things as we head into 2020. Check this out, this is Erwin McManus. And, and, and so finally I realized I've been studying a particular species all my life. They're called humans. And I, I've been a human almost all my life and so I have both personal and objective experience with humans. And, and I started wondering, what makes humans different than every other species? What makes you different than an orangutan or an antelope? What makes you different than a polar bear or a platypus? Because you see, we can see a lot of human characteristics in animals, but what makes a human different than every other species? And I want to take you to a passage of scripture that I don't think you've ever seen from this particular perspective. But I want us to take a moment and ask the question, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? In Hebrews chapter 11, verses one through six, but I'm gonna start with six because I like starting with the end and working my way backwards. In verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And when I first read this, I thought this was incredibly unfair of God. I know we're not supposed to say that, but do you ever read anything in the Bible? You think, why? Let's go back. It says again, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think that's kind of unfair. Do you know there's no other species on this planet that's held to that standard? Only humans are required to have faith in order to please God. And I'm like, why? Salmon don't have to live by faith. They just fight their way upstream to give birth to the next generation, then they die. It doesn't require faith, just hard work. I mean, there's no other species. I mean, kangaroos, they live out in the outback. They carry their young in a pouch with massive feet. But they don't need faith to survive. Rattlesnakes don't need faith. Polar bears with all climate change don't need faith. There's no species on this planet that is required to have faith except for humans. So why are humans required to have faith when no other species on this planet is required by God to have faith and they please God just the way they are? Think about this. Spiders please God just the way they are, without faith. I somehow think that's wrong. Rats somehow please God without faith. So why do humans have to have faith to please God? Well, first of all, I need to have you understand that everything God creates has intention. See, God creates everything with intention, and we already know, as we understand the environment, that if you eliminate one species, it affects the entire ecosystem. That even insects that we thought were incidental actually have value to the whole. Because God has created everything in the universe with intention, including human beings. But we are the creatures created with the highest intention. But we're the only species that can actually live against our intention. So every other species, whichever one they are, will actually live out the intention God has for them, but humans can actually violate the purpose for which they were created. And in fact, on top of that, the reason we have to have faith to please God is not that faith is some kind of magical power that makes you superhuman. It's not that faith has the capacity when 
activated to move mountains, although it does. What makes faith essential is that faith makes us human again. See, the reason humans need faith to please God is that we're the only species living beneath our intention. And so we've learned how to live a subhuman life. And I think a lot of us, you know, I love superheroes. My wife hates superhero movies. I love every single superhero movie. I mean, I grew up on Marvel and DC. I grew up with, with Daredevil and Superman and Batman. I grew up with, with X-Men. I grew up with all those. And, and before that, I read every single mythology book in the library, the Roman, the Norse, the Greek, and they were just superheroes before our time. And a part of the reason we tell these stories is that we somehow have the sense that we as human beings are living beneath our God-given capacity. We know there's something inside of us that's supposed to be awakened, that's supposed to come out of us, but we don't know how to get to it. So God says without faith, it is impossible to please God because without faith, you live a life beneath your intention. You live a life that is not fully human. And we have a language for that. Isn't it odd, you ever heard someone say that that was really inhumane? Isn't it odd that a human can do something that's called inhumane? I mean, you ever, you ever watched National Geographics? You ever seen like a tiger go after an antelope? Just grabs it by the throat, shakes it and tears it to pieces and eats it while it's throbbing. No one ever goes, that's inanimal, right? They go, what an awesome tiger. You ever seen a killer whale eat a seal? They put it in its mouth, but they don't kill it. They throw it in there. And the seal comes flying, and starts swimming. And the killer whale just slowly comes up, puts it in its mouth, so delicately, so gently, throws it in the air, and it comes flying back, and starts swimming away. And this goes, they're playing a game but the seal doesn't want to play. <laughs> and when the seal is so exhausted it can no longer play, then the killer whale kills it and eats it. It's a dangerous world out there. And we don't go, well, that's inanimal. We don't think, why is that killer whale evil? When you get bitten by a mosquito, you may slap it and destroy it, but you don't think, that's the devil. He said, get behind me, mosquito, because it's doing what it's supposed to do. But you see, when human beings live beneath our intention, we instinctively know it's inhumane. Because when human beings begin to live like animals, we are violating the image of God in us. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what it looks like to become human again when faith fills us again. And so we have to go back up to verses one and two. It says, now faith is confidence in what we do not, in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. All right, let's not go any further. Does that make sense to you? Because see, when I read that, and I measure that against my life, I go, not really. See, that's not really the life I have. You know what I discovered? We have, more confidence 
in the life we have than the life we hope for. See, here it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for. But my life experience is that we have so much more confidence in what we have. And in fact, we lack confidence in what we hope for. In fact, most of the bad decisions we make in our lives are because we don't have confidence in what we hope for. And we have too much confidence in what we have. And so there's a shift. It says that faith actually shifts us. It moves us from confidence in what we have to confidence in what we hope for. Now, how does that change you? And here's the curious thing. What you have is in the present, but what you hope for is in the future. And in fact, hope only exists in the future. Have you ever hoped for something and then you got it? See, what the scriptures actually tell us is when you hope for something and you get it, it's no longer a source of hope. Now, some of you, your hope is facing backwards. Your hope is in the past, and that's called regret. See, when you're living with regret, it's because your hope is in the past, but you cannot change the past. There's some of you that are trying to fix the past, but you cannot fix the past, but you can create a different future. Hope is this unique ingredient that only lives in the future. See, human beings are supposed to be connected to the future. We are future creatures. I have a dog, and my dog is really lazy, unambitious. My dog is not driven by any dreams or aspirations. My dog's a lab, and she's never woken up once saying, I wish I were a husky. <laughs> there, there's not one day she goes, I'm gonna be a German shepherd. And, and in fact, my wife thought there was something wrong with our dog, because all she does is sleep and eat. She goes, I think she's like sick. I go, she's not sick, she's a dog. <laughs> and she lives in the present. And you know the crazy thing about a dog? You can forget to feed your dog and it doesn't remember, <laughs> right? You ever notice that? You, you, you can neglect your dog and the day you're there, they just treat you just like you're awesome. Don't you just wish humans were like that? They don't remember what you did yesterday. See, animals live in the present, but humans are supposed to actually live in the future from the present. See, you're supposed to be connected to the future. But here's part of the problem, is that, that we followers of Jesus don't really understand our relationship with the future. I hear a lot of Christians say things like, well, you know, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. You ever hear that? Well, you know, if it's God's will, it's gonna happen. We actually treat the future like it's magic. Like we can't do anything about it, like we have no effect on the future. And, and in fact, we think the future is only God's domain. Hey, wait a minute, wait, no. God's the God of the future. God is the one who creates the future. Has it ever occurred to you that God created you to create the future? Now, I've been doing some research, and my kids think I'm a little too fixated on animals, but, but you know beavers? They have beavers out here. See, I, I feel like we should spend more time thinking about beavers because beavers have one occupation. They build dams, that's it. It's like multi-generational. They don't get other options. Like when I grow up, if you're a beaver, you're like, I want to build dams. You never think, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to build dams. I, I, 
I want to I be a dancer. Like, it doesn't work like that. You know? there, 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 there's never been a beaver who has had an identity crisis. What do I do? Well, maybe one beaver, but, but, um, not a, not, not, but the only beaver that can actually think about who they want to be is the human one. See, beavers are instinctively created to build dams. It would be really awesome if we went out and found all these beavers that are building this dam. But there's like this one like hipster beetle, beaver that is like building a bridge. Right? It would be kind of cool. Like, I don't want to divide. I want to unite. You, you know? And, uh, right? And it would be so confusing because his dad would be like, I told you you were coddling him, treating him like an otter. You know? and, and his mom's like, it's just a phase, it's just a phase. He'll come back, he'll build dams. And his, his granddad's like, doesn't even get it. Like, that's the worst dam I've ever seen. It can't hold water. It's like... See, beavers cannot reimagine themselves, but humans can. There, there are worms that create silk. I used to be a fashion designer. I think it's so cool that there's a worm that creates a product we wear. But silkworms never decided to make silk. They, they can't get up one day and go, you know, I'm going polyester. <laughs> silkworms create silk because that's what they're created to create. I want you to understand something that humans have been designed in a unique way in the same way that, that bees create hives and ants create colonies, humans create futures. But you create futures so naturally, you don't even understand, you don't even see that you're creating futures. Every time you make a choice, you're creating a future. It may be a future you don't want, but you're designed to create. See, the question is not whether you will create a future, it's what kind of future you'll create. But we don't understand our relationship to the future because we've been living subhuman lives. And so we act as if we're trapped in time and space and we hope that somehow God will create a future we long for. And we keep saying, God, do something. God, do something. And God's shouting from eternity, I did do something. I created you. Now you do something. I want you to hear me. I don't care if you're 14 or 24 or 84. If you're a human being, you're created to create. You're designed by God, and you need to understand the power of your choices. You ever been around someone who, who says something like, um, I don't know how this happened to me? Like, you were there the whole time. You're the only one who was there the whole time. You ever found yourself living a life going, this is not the life I expected, but it is the life you chose. It is the life you created. And you may be here going, but I didn't create this life. You don't understand. I, I, I was born into the world with massive disadvantages and, and, and there's, there was abuse and there was pain and, and you don't understand. The life I have is not the life I've chosen and I understand exactly what you're saying. See, the problem is that we don't live disconnected from each other. You're making choices right now that will hurt or heal someone else. 
And some of you have been wounded and some of you are broken and some of you are damaged because of the choices other people made. And so you had to live in the future they created. But this is what I want you to know. You don't have to live in the world they created. You have the power to create a new world and a new future right now. See, what faith does is it shifts you from having confidence in what you have to having confidence in what you hope for. If some of you, let's just figure this out. Like, you, ever, you, ever, you ever been around like a girlfriend who's dating a jerk? You know? She's like, he used to be so attentive. He used to pick me up early. He'd pay for the meals. He'd bring me flowers. He was like so amazing. Now he just, he doesn't even call. He doesn't show up. He says he's coming. Five hours later, he shows up. And I think he's, I think he's texting this other girl. And all your girlfriends are like, well, why don't you just break up with him? Why don't you dump him? Like, I can't. He's my man, right? You know? And, and let, me, let me tell you why you're going to end up with the wrong guy. Because you have more confidence in what you have than what you hope for. And I meet people all the time who have jobs they hate. And they complain about their boss all the time. They complain about their job all the time. And, and in fact, I, I know a lot of people who have the job their parents wanted them to have. And they hate their life because they're living their parents' life, not their own. I'm 60. I'm allowed to say that now. <laughs> See, and, and you're going to end up in a job you hate because you have more confidence in the job you have than the job you hope for. And I meet people all the time who hate their life. I, I, I've experienced the pain of people I love and their lives. I've seen an epidemic of suicide. And for every friend I have who did end their life, I have so many who tried and failed. Because I can't imagine one reason to get up tomorrow and live. And you know what is driving me just mad? Driving me crazy? That rather than ending your life, you don't choose a different one. See, if you hate your life, you have the power to choose a new life. But, but here's the dangerous thing. You might have more confidence in the life you have than the life you hope for. Because without faith, you can't pivot from what you have to what you hope for. But when you have faith, you become a creature of the future. You know that the future is waiting to be created. The future is waiting for the person who has the courage to create it. You were imagined to imagine. You're created to create. You are both a work of art and an artist at work. Do you know what's inside of you? Oh, but it goes on. No, we're not making it very far. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I have more assurance of what I see than what I don't see. How about you? And in fact, if I don't pay attention, all I have assurance in is what I see and not what I don't see. 
But it says what faith does, just the way it moves us from having confidence that we have to confidence in what we hope for, it moves us from having confidence that we see to confidence in what is unseen. And so in the same way that we're, we're creatures that are designed by God to be connected to the future, we're also supposed to be this creation who knows how to live in the invisible. So you're not supposed to be trapped by the material world. What you see is not everything there is. And in fact, what you see is the smallest part of the resource God has for your life. But if you only have assurance of what you see, you will actually never live the life God created you to live because faith opens up endless resources that are invisible to those who do not have faith. I, I, I thought, okay, wait a minute. He goes on, he explains, verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Okay, now he's talking about God. I thought, I liked it when he's talking about us. Now he's talking about God. He says, so that what was seen, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, why does he go back to creation? He's not trying to teach us something about God. He's actually trying to teach us something about us. See, he says, now, we know this. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of what was visible. Now, this is what science says. I love science. Science says everything came out of something and that something came out of nothing. But everything has to come out of something except for that first something. It came out of nothing, which is really something. <laughs> and then people who believe in Jesus, believe in God go, that's so ridiculous. This is what we believe. Everything comes out of something. And that something came out of nothing. But God was there in the nothing, and he created out of the nothing something from which we have everything. So we're saying the same thing that the atheist is saying, except we're saying God was there. But you want to know what's really interesting? Neither one of those positions are the biblical position. The Bible says something different, which I think is kind of important. See, the Bible does not say that everything came, comes out of something, that something comes out of nothing. The Bible says something different. It says, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, everything, was not made out of what was visible. See, the Bible is not saying everything came out of, came out of something and something came out of nothing. The Bible is saying everything came out of something and that something that is visible came out of something that was invisible. Now, something being invisible is different than something not existing. In this room, there's oxygen. It's not visible, but it exists. See, we know it's here because it actually gives us life. We would know the moment it was gone. So even though it's invisible, it is real. And what the scriptures are actually telling us is that God created everything that is visible out of that which was invisible. So then I go, what is the invisible that God created the visible? That's what I want to know. Years ago, I wrote a book, for, the first book I ever wrote, the subtitle was called Becoming the People God Dreams Of. And my publisher, a Christian publisher said, you can't use that. And I said, why? And they said, because God doesn't dream. I said, I, I think he does. And they go, no, he doesn't. I go, no, I'm, I'm sure he does. And they go, no, no, God doesn't dream. I said, so, all right, so, so you're saying that we can do something God can't do. Because we dream, and if God can't dream, then we have a power God doesn't have, and that doesn't work for me. And uh, 
And then they came back with this. It doesn't matter if God can dream. Christians don't believe he can dream, so you can't use that. So I changed it to becoming the people God has in mind. Just a little shift. You know what God has in mind? Dreams. Now listen. See, what the scriptures actually tell us that everything that is visible came out of that which is invisible. See, what was invisible were the dreams of God. God imagined the universe. God dreamed all this up. It was in God's invisible arena before he spoke it into existence in the visible arena. And here's what's crazy. God has created you in his image with the same ability. Human beings have a superpower. We materialize the invisible. Stay with me. We have assurance in things not seen. You ever had a dream, a vision? Have you ever had a, a, an ambition, a passion? You ever seen something that the world so desperately needed that you had to create it? Do you realize that human history is the awakening of the human imagination? Everything in this room is the manifestation of someone's imagination. I'm holding a microphone that did not exist at one time, but someone imagined this tool that could amplify a voice. It did not exist except inside of someone's imagination and they materialized it into reality. So there's always light, but someone imagined they could capture light. Here we are, we can't even move at the speed of light, but we took light captive. Imagine that. My friend Jerry, imagine these shoes. I'm living inside of the imagination of my friend. You don't realize that right now you're living inside of someone's imagination. See, hundreds of years ago, for better or worse, with all their faults and flaws, a group of people imagined this nation. And it's still working itself out, but we're living inside of the imagination of Jefferson and Adams and Hamilton. And in fact, somewhere in the mid-60s, there was a young man who stood on a platform named Martin Luther King Jr. and he said, I have a dream. Imagine that, a human being. Do you know we're the only species that gets up and says, I have a dream? No other species has a dream like this. He says, I have a dream. And, I, and he dreamed that one day in this land, a man would not be measured by the color of his skin, by the content of his character. And do you realize, wherever you stand politically, that the moment that Barack Obama took that oath of office and became the president of the United States, he was literally walking into the imagination and dreams of Martin Luther King Jr. See, we're all living inside of Steve Jobs' imagination. Some of you are more affected by him right now than by me. And we've now created a tool that can take the human imagination and materialize it for the world to see, and it's called the internet. 
human beings have this unique capacity to imagine what does not exist and create it to make it reality. And I hope you're paying attention to this because throughout human history, most of the individuals who tried to force their imagination on us became humanity's nightmares. And good people sit around and go, I hope God does something. The church goes around saying, man, I hope, I hope God fixes this. I hope God ends it all soon. And we're hiding inside of our imaginations rather than creating what we can imagine. When I was 12 years old, I, um, I was put into a psychiatric um, chair. I had nightmares for like five years in a row and I had dark, dark, ominous dreams and nightmares that just ate me up inside and I had a lot of effects from that and one day I walked in, my mom and stepdad were talking about me and saying they need to send me to a psychiatrist and I freaked out. I started screaming, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy. And then I had my first moment of self-awareness and I realized I look crazy. And so I, I looked at them, I said, I, I, and they were like, you don't have to go, you don't have to go. I said, no, I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna know, I wanna know, I wanna know if I'm crazy. And the thing is that if you are crazy, you just like really never know. <laughs> and I don't know if I'm crazy, I just know that crazy works. Because what was happening is that I was disappearing inside of my imaginary world because the world around me was too painful. And I didn't feel equipped for it. And I had to make a decision one day I'm either gonna use my imagination to hide from the world around me, or I'm gonna use my imagination to create the world we all desperately need. So I was at Columbia University, and I didn't know it was a debate, but it was a debate between a scientist and a humanist and me. And I felt so sad for God being represented by me. And the event was called, uh, was on what can be known, which I thought was a huge topic. And the scientist, he was a senior scientist, he said, what can be known is what can be empirically proven. And I thought, that's good. I agree. And then the humanist, who was a Kantian philosopher, said, what can be known is human actions. I thought, that's good too. And they read their opening statements. I did not know there would be opening statements. <laughs> They're reading their opening statements, and it's my turn and after I quietly apologized to Jesus, I, I said, you know, what can be known is I should have been better prepared. But I'm not an expert on knowing. I'm kind of more an expert on what is unknown and what we can't explain that we know. I said, in fact, humans are so layered. We know things we don't even know how we know. I know that two plus two equals four, and I know there's green, there's blue, but I know my wife Kim in LA loves me, and they're not all the same kind of knowing. There are different layers of knowing. Is it possible that in all those layers of knowing, there's, there's a knowing that goes beyond knowing where we're supposed to meet the creator of the universe and know him and he knows us. And, and we had this long debate, conversation, dialogue. And at the end, they had questions and answers on these little cards. And there's like 500 questions, I think, for me. And then one for the scientist and one for the humanist. And uh, I think that the Columbia faculty and students were curious to talk to a person who believed in God still. And I had a question I'll never forget. This was the question. When you were a child, you had imaginary friends, Santa Claus, the Tooth Fairy, and God. 
Why did you get rid of your other imaginary friends and keep God? Isn't that a great question? That's a great question to be asked without any advance warning in front of 600 people at an Ivy League school. Thank you, God, for this moment. Yeah, this is awesome, man. You know, it just, not that long before that, my wife and I took a vacation to Ireland and we drove around the country for a few days. And after three days of having the most awesome time in my life, my wife screamed, I can't take this anymore. I got really nervous. So take, 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 take what? She goes, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I thought, oh no, this is where it's all ending in Ireland. And, and I, I said, do what, do what? Like babe, travel the world with me, the guy who loves you, you, you know? And she goes, you haven't said one word for three days. She goes, I can't take this. I need a conversation. You have to have a conversation. I'm a very like introverted person. And, uh, and I, I said, well, honey, We've been married for 20 years at that time. And I said, you and the kids have been talking for like 20 years. I just been listening. This is the way it was before we were married. And now it's like, it's the way it is now. And, uh, and she goes, well, you're gonna have to change because I need you to have a conversation. I said, but I have been. For three days, I've been talking to all my imaginary friends. And I said, I didn't know you wanted to join us. All you had to do was ask. And. Uh, <laughs> So when they asked me that question at Columbia University about giving up my imaginary friends, I answered it like this. I said, you clearly don't know me if you think I've given up my imaginary friends. <laughs> They're the only friends I have and I'm keeping them. They know me, I know them, I'm safe with them. And I said, but you're right. You know, I, I didn't keep Santa Claus and I didn't keep the tooth fairy and I didn't keep the giant rabbit who hid in my closet. And, uh, but I didn't really have God as an imaginary friend. He was an occasional visitor, but I didn't really know him like I knew Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. I said, but here's the thing, just because you have imaginary friends who did not exist, doesn't mean there isn't a friend who created the imagination who does exist. I said, in fact, if there is a God, then the imagination makes perfect sense because it's the only place God could meet you to share his dreams with you, to whisper what you cannot see or imagine. It's the playground of God. And I said, you know, when my son was a little boy, he wouldn't eat his vegetables, but he would sit in the backyard and eat dirt. <laughs> then my wife would put the food in front of him and he wouldn't eat it. And then he'd go in the backyard and eat rocks. And one day I said to my wife, Kim, I said, honey, have you noticed that our son will eat dirt and rocks, but he will not touch your cooking? <laughs> that didn't go well. I still don't know why, but... It, and, and she goes, what are you trying to say? No, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying I have a strategy. She goes, what's that? And I said, I think we ought to just throw the food in the backyard and let him play. And she said, you should, you should not be a parent. And, and, and I told the students at Columbia and the faculty, you know, just because my son couldn't distinguish between vegetables and rocks, between what was good for him and not good for him, we didn't give up on eating we just helped him learn to eat the things that made him healthy and strong, to spit out the things that would hurt him. See, just because you had imaginary friends when you were a child, you don't give up on the imagination because it's the imagination that makes us different than every other species. Because you see, I wanna remind you one more time, where you come from matters. You were imagined to imagine. You were created to create. I hope you can see it. You are a work of art, but you're also an artist at work. The God 
created all that is visible out of that which was invisible but real. Because the dreams of God, they are us. I don't know if anyone's told you lately, but God's not just dreaming about you. God dreamed you. And he's just trying to reclaim the dream he created you to live. And maybe you're here and you've never crossed that line of faith and trusted Jesus with your life. Maybe you've never understood why do you need God? Why do you need Jesus in your life? And I want you to know the most beautiful reason is because God is dreaming about you and he's imagining you and he is seeing a future that you will never be able to see without him. And when you open up your life to him, God steps into the space of your soul and he begins to whisper to you his dreams for you and he begins to show you his imagination for you and you begin to see the world around you through the eyes of God and you begin to see the beauty and the wonder of life and you begin to see the power and capacity within you and you begin to see yourself differently. And oh, by the way, there's a strange phenomenon called phantom pain. If you lose an arm, you imagine having that arm for years and years and years, even though it's gone. See, right now there's some of you and, and you may be depressed and maybe you're anxious and maybe you're afraid. Do you know you can't be depressed if you can't imagine a better life? You can't be anxious if you can't imagine a better you. You cannot be disappointed or discouraged if you can't imagine that things could be better, but God has whispered into your soul, you're not supposed to live like this. Your life is supposed to be more than this. You're created for more than this. And I want you to know all that depression and all that anxiety and all that stress and all that fear, that's just the phantom pain of the soul letting you know, oh, you were never intended to settle for less. They're so much more to being human. Yeah. You see why I like him? Just he inspires me. And there's a lot of things in this world that, um, that, uh, that crush my dreams break my heart. Last night, sat with my family and just, there's just crying over sadness. But I think the reason I'm sad is because I hope for more, you know? I, I, I know it's not supposed to be that way and I just, I want it to be different and I have this much more time left in my little life. And I want all, everybody here to make the most of their lives. I remember reading a book by Irwin where he said you can't change history but you can create the future. And there's something about that that connects with me. That, that the decision I make and Heidi and I made created the future for my kids and they're gonna have to create a future someone else is gonna live in. Our church collectively is creating the future of the greater Lowell area. Every one of our collective's decisions, for better or worse, 
becomes the future of the world. And that's horrifying. And that is hopeful. That if we could all lock arms and pull in the same direction. And I just want to label and name the direction. Obeying God. Not just fanciful ideas. I'm not talking about imagination that is vain imagination is what the Bible calls, but I'm talking about just saying this book, the God of this book, the word of God and the God of this word, we want to make his dreams come true and he has penned them for us to materialize. And uh, I was thinking out of the passage in Hebrews 11, it comes out of that and shares a bunch of people that just had radical faith and, and actually went after things without seeing them. And some of them never actually got the reward of what they were chasing after someone after them did. You can read down through it. And actually in Hebrews 11, it said, God was not ashamed to be called their God. That's just a powerful statement. Like that says that we could name the name of God and not live in such a way that is living out our intention, that we live beneath that intention as he described. And God could be like, I'm just ashamed to be called their God. And then there's a way to live your life that we live out our intention. And God's like, man, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. I mean, th those are seven words. Like I wanna hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I want to hear, I'm not ashamed to be called your father when I get to heaven. And it, it says those people are a cloud of witnesses peering down on us right now. And they're cheering us on. It says, since we're surrounded by so many examples of faith who now watch as witnesses from above. We must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sin that hinders us or entangles us. And we must run the race that lies ahead of us and never give up. That perseverance, never giving up. And the race is ahead of you. Can you believe 2020 is here? Like I remember in the 80s, I grew up in the 80s and um, thinking about the year 2000 was crazy, but I remember thinking about 2010, 2020, and being like, oh my goodness, are we even gonna have wheels on cars? Are we gonna be like the Jetsons? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, are we, is that the world? Back to the Future came out, and will our cars just fold the wheels up and move forward? Like, this is, that's what 2020 felt like to me. And I'm like, we, we are here. That is now. And this is, this is where we are. We are in the future, and the future has become the now. And I just think 2020 is a powerful, it even flows off the lips right. And this could be the year that you just drop what you have and lean into what you hope for. And you stop living by what you can touch and see and start saying, I want to go after what God has put in my heart, in my imagination. And uh, 
I just had an amazing conversation with a guy this morning and he came into my office and um, he, I was just doing a little bit of just reading and praying for you guys and this morning, um, licking my wounds after the Buckeyes lost last night. And he came up and, and was, he was holding, I could see a check and I was like, I don't know what's going on necessarily here, but and then he came up and he said, I just, I, w- I was gonna just throw this in the offering plate, and this is a good friend of mine for 15 years. And he said, but I just, I felt like I, I wanted to give it to you, and I, I said, I know why. I said, because something hap- is happening in your heart, and after all these years, something, something in you saying, I want to live differently. See, discipleship doesn't happen fast, right? And this is, this is a guy that I've, I've loved and known and he's my good friend. And he said, I, I'm gonna tithe and this is my year's tithe. And at the beginning of the year when what things weren't going well, I told God, God, if you cause things to go well, I'll give you what's yours. And he was sort of trembling and even his, his voice was a little shaky. And I said, I, I know, I know where you're coming from. And he just said, and this morning, I, I talked to my wife last night, and I wrote this check, and part of me is just like, I gotta give it, and if I don't tell somebody, I won't give it. And I just was watching in front of me the metamorphosis of a transformed heart that is like, God, I just wanna, I just wanna live out. I can't see it yet, but I wanna start materializing obedience. And he just sat there, and I just was like, man, I'm so proud of you. That's not about money. Sometimes that's the easiest thing to give. Sometimes it's just like giving your kids to the Lord instead of obsessing over controlling them. Sometimes it's just giving your life to the Lord and crossing that line this morning. I don't know what it is for you. I'm telling you, I've watched at the end of the year a lot of people just that love Jesus just getting drunk out of their mind. And they love Jesus. But there's no conviction over just certain things in their life and they're just not ready to drop the sin that entangles them and cast off the encumbrances and just say, God, my life is yours. They're too scared to let go of the management and the, the... the control over their own existence to believe that life could be better than these things that hold me together as coping mechanisms. And you can give up that stuff. And I believe God will reward you with more than you could have ever have dreamed and hoped for. But until you let go, you can't grab hold. It's like a trapeze artist, like you swing and you're trying to get the other thing, but the other thing is just about 10 inches away and you'll just keep swinging your whole life. You have to let go, that's faith, to grab that thing to swing that direction. And I just feel like there's a bunch of humans that they don't wanna let go of all these things, and, and they, but they want that other thing, but you gotta let go. 
got to be that kind of year. For some of you, the future of everyone under your care depends on it. And they're going to live inside the future you create. And you know what it's like to live inside the future someone else created. And that's why we need each other this year to be accountable and responsible to say, man, let's just be the church God wants us to be, but we'll never be the church God wants us to be unless each one of us individually are the Christ follower he's called us to be. Oh, God. Some days I don't, I don't know if I can hope anymore because it's, it's hard to hope when things don't change as fast as I want. It's hard to, to get your hopes high and then just to, to witness the collapse of what you imagined or desire or dream. But I pray that you today will fan into flame all of what we hope for and all of what we do not see and that we will be a people created in your image, image bearers of God that just start becoming everything that you dreamed us to be. As I sit here with my friends today, give us daring, courageous hearts to create futures that we're proud of, that leave legacies for others to live in. As we launch into this new year and even meet again next week um, in 2020, I pray that just you'll do things that will blow our minds beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And I pray for my friends here today that you would give them an amazing year of transformation and blessing and peace and liberation by your spirit's power. We love you, Jesus. You modeled it. Now we want to walk in your steps. We pray all this in your powerful name, the name that gives us hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thanks for coming today. Happy New Year.